This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today, I'm joined by Ron Bajanover and Baran Vetner, the president and CEO of Blue Sky Utilities. I'm excited to have them on the show today. There is a lot of noise and news about sustainable energy, and they are in the middle of it. They are in the solar business and the utility business, and they have a lot of great insights to share with us today. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right, Ron. So tell us who Blue Sky is and what you all do. Uh, so Blue Sky Utility is really the, the brainchild of uh, our activity, Barn and I's activity for more than a decade now. Um, you know, we were in the solar space and we're looking for where we saw real opportunities, specifically in the solar industry. Uh, given the, the high level of competition in it. And we felt that the retail, specifically multi-tenant retail uh, segment, asset class is one that would be very attractive for a specific business approach that has not been actually executed before. Um, and really focused on developing a business model to align a lot of the agency problems and the issues that are faced within the retail real estate setting. Uh, since then, we've uh, been really become the subject matter experts in application of multi-tenant uh, retail real estate assets, uh, and we focus almost entirely on grocery anchors, strip malls, community-based centers, uh, though we do have uh, one or two sites that are enclosed shopping centers, um, and really with a clear focus of developing partnerships with large REITs and then utilizing those partnerships to expand the solar offering across uh, as much of their asset base as we can. And uh, over time, we're also augmenting a lot of our activity with other energy efficiency and self-generation applications, uh, such as uh, cogen, HVAC installations, uh, energy efficiency, building controls, uh, LED lighting retrofits, and things of that nature. Um, so I think in, in respect to our focus, again, we, what we try to do is marry our business approach with large retail REITs um, and then expand with them as they expand both in the marketplace into new assets or assets that they divest and into new markets that uh, solar generation or self-generation programs become available uh, given that it's a very uh, uh, segmented uh, market in which you have different markets, different electricity markets and renewable portfolio standards for each state. Why of all the real estate asset classes did you all choose to focus on retail real estate? I think there is quite a confluence of various elements that really drove us to focus on retail real estate. Before we came about on that focus, we, we did a fairly significant market search around the, the various asset classes in real estate, uh, others within the, the, the general scope of non-real estate-based assets. And we felt very early on that retail real estate actually has a lot to offer us in the application of distributed solar generation. Um, specifically, we felt that retail real estate in itself as an asset class is very scalable for us. So 
you have a lot of REITs that have multiple assets, and it's very easy to, once you've developed a partnership with them, to apply that uh, R type of model across as many of their asset classes as possible. Um, we felt that, you know, somewhat against sentiment that we had from other people in the solar industry specifically is that retail real estate is a very strong asset class and there's quite a lot of very, very smart people within the retail real estate marketplace. It's a very well-networked uh, community. Everybody knows one another and none of them are operating in this vacuum that online retail is going to wipe them out. They all understand online retail better than most people. They understand the, uh, the effects of it, and they are well-equipped and smart enough to manage it in a way that will make retail real estate be successful, uh, not only today, but in the future to come. And, you know, we felt that specifically in retail real estate and, and more focused on the way that retail real estate is predominantly owned and managed, that REITs as an asset base, as an asset class, as a non-taxable pass-through entity, cannot really take advantage of the tax equity uh, or the tax benefits that are created in, in this type of asset class. And therefore, it's going to be something that creates an agency problem within this type of environment in which the landlord, which would probably be the most natural owner of the solar system, is not really the best equipped to actually be the solar system owner. And so from when we looked at that as a market opportunity, we saw a great opportunity to build a company, a business model that works, uh, that can provide a flexible, um, flexible alternative to landlords in the retail real estate space and really meet a lot of their requirements as it relates to sustainability because with institutional investment the way it is today, the need to meet certain ESG requirements by all companies that want to be attractive to the institutional investment uh, base is one that requires more and more implementation of uh, both renewable as well as other uh, social and governance type of applications. And I think we fit very well into that. Well, thank you for that. That was interesting. Really appreciate the insights. What did you all do before you were in the utility business or have you always been in the utility business? Well, yeah, so I'm a mechanical engineer and um, starting off in South Africa in the mines, uh, trained there, you know, um, and then moving into industry. And within the industry, we always work with DC drives, DC motors, um, uh, set up several uh, power stations and stuff like, you know, in that, that format. So the transfer into um, immigrating into the United States, you know, 16 years ago, uh, the transfer into the renewable energy space was then easy because I could apply, you know, all the um, um, attributes and all the components that I've learned over the years. And um, yeah, so basically come from engineering, design components, and then meeting up with, with Ron um, you know, uh, locking in the financial component to make it work uh, for the clients. And yeah, part of it is, you know, the systems that we use is designed specific for applications and that it, you know, some of the history and technologies that we use now is, is coming over years uh, and it's just basically being implemented now. What about you, Ron? What, what's your background? 
Um, so I'm, I'm also uh, an immigrant in a sense. I, I'm originally from Israel, and uh, most of my background I focused on financing, uh, on the financial side of project finance, uh, primarily on infrastructure, uh, both sort of heavy civil infrastructure like toll roads and toll bridges, desalination plants, uh, as well as energy assets. And, you know, about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, I was... Uh, well, actually, twelve. Now that I think about it, <laughs> you know, I um, I was in the consulting space, and I wanted to move from consulting to asset uh, development. And you know, I really wanted to focus on traditional infrastructure. I wanted to stay away from energy infrastructure, specifically to stay away from anything renewable, and specifically not touch anything that that had solar. And of course, I ended up in a and a solar company and been very happy to uh, to be active in the space. I think it's an important objective for all of us, uh, definitely I think in California, but I think as well in the United States uh, to try to bring about solutions that are both sustainable and, and beneficial from an economic perspective and a value perspective to uh, the various parties that participate in this market. And I kind of add to, you know, what really made our partnership work is the ability to, from all different aspects and sizes, from the actual engineering side and then from creative financing, how to put a program together, which is actually a solution for a problem, then trying to sell a product. This is, you know, I think that's, that's quite a differentiator and something that we achieved is basically understanding the market first that we're going to service and then provide a you know a product that's custom made for that market to service that market instead of just trying to provide a product into into space and force the product onto a market i i think that's an interesting distinction because i am certainly no expert in solar but solar's been around for quite some time but a challenge for property owners from a cost perspective and a return perspective and in, in, in you all have provided some solutions to tackle that, uh, that challenge, which I do think is a, a good point that you bring up. Let's get to know you all a bit better before we get into the meat of renewable energy and sustainable energy. Let's get to know you all a little bit better. So I've got three questions. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask uh, I'm going to ask one person's going to answer two of them. One person's going to ask one of them. And we'll do the same at the, the end of the show when I ask those three questions as well. So, Ron, we'll go to you. We'll ask the first question. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? Yeah, so I think um, COVID's been a great opportunity to try new things. Um, and Certainly. so I think uh, with, uh, with the stress and managing everything, I felt a little bit sleep deprived and since uh, I was recommended strongly recommended the gravity blanket which we've, we've been trying my wife and I've been trying and I have to say that it's uh, it has improved our sleep dramatically it's a great product and I recommend it for, for anyone who <laughs> suffers from from mild to, to extreme insomnia I have seen these gravity blankets I have not tried one but that, that is a a good little piece of information, and I'm going to have to do more research on that. All right, Barand, what is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? I, from my side, people love bottled water or water that comes, that's filtered. So 
So I grew up, you know, in Africa, walking bare feet, you know, and uh, I believe water should be free for everyone. It's a right that you actually breathe. So if you can breathe air, which is free, um, then you should be able to get water. And I drink, I, I drink water from a tap. I do drink water from, you know, uh, from a bottle if I don't get anything else. I mean, but uh, for me, it's, it's a principal thing. Uh, I feel that, you know, uh, if I go into a restaurant, you know, it can be as fancy as anything. I ask for tap water, preferably without ice. So, <laughs> so for me, that's something, you know, a lot of people, you know, have cases and cases of water and they drink Fiji water. I'm like, hey, you know, your tap water is just as good. And it should be free, by the way. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. Personally, I like my water at 33 degrees. I like it freezing cold just before freezing. I want it ice cold. So uh, 33 degrees Fahrenheit is perfect for me. All right, Ron, last one. What is one skill you don't possess, but you, you wish you did? Um, you know, I, I wish I had a better musical skill, both in sort of playing instruments, singing. You know, I think my, you know, my surrounding suffers too much from my <laughs> inability to hold a tune. So, uh, but I think it'd be great if, especially when you, with, with children, where you're trying to persuade them to be able to take up an instrument and focus on practicing the instrument. It would have been great if I had those uh, capabilities as well. I hear you. I am not musically inclined. All right. Thank you for playing with me. That was great. Get to know you guys a little bit better. Let's go into the meat of it. Give us an overview of the solar industry right now. If you were going to explain the solar business to somebody right now that doesn't know anything about it, give us an overview. Sure. So, you know, solar is essentially an electricity generating asset. Uh, it's among a portfolio of generating assets or generating asset classes within the, you know, throughout the, the world, really, obviously here in the United States. Uh, it's really currently um, a generation asset that augments um, the vast majority of other generating assets, which are primarily conventional, uh, either cogen, coal, um, various other sort of fired plants. Um, but it's a growing asset class, and it's one that uh, majorly is actually being applied in the utility space, uh, which potentially might not be the best fit for solar because the one thing that's quite unique about solar is that it's a steady state production mechanism. So there's really not a lot of moving parts that can cause a lot of damage. Um, and it's actually very modular. So you can really put it anywhere at the size that you really need it to be. Uh, so it's very well uh, tailored to be a type of generation asset that can be applied at the point of consumption. Uh, and we are very strong believers that when you do something, when you build something, you really want to build it at the point of consumption as opposed to building it somewhere sort of off in the desert or where people are not really habitating and con consuming that electricity and then wheel it to a position of use, uh, particularly in urban settings. Um, so here in the United States, uh, the, the vast majority of, um, of incentives that exist for solar applications are predominantly uh, tax-based, uh, which is obviously uh, something that is a, is a detriment a lot of times for most of the retail REITs in applying solar independently because they are obviously, it, it is not a qualified income source. 
uh, and it's not a taxable entity as well. So the benefits of applying the tax credits and the tax depreciation that these assets generate is not something that can be readily used by a lot of the REITs. Um, well, there was a lot to unpack there. The first thing that I noticed when I said solar industry, solar business, you used the word asset class. I think if you went to somebody on the street and you said solar, I don't think asset class would be something that they would, that would be a word they would associate with solar. So do you want to, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. So um, when, when we think of an asset class, um, you know, I think there's several applications or, or several categories of asset class that we can consider. I think real estate being, for example, one asset class, uh, you can talk about uh, equities, bond being different asset classes as well. But infrastructure in general is also considered an asset class, uh, specifically the market for infrastructure investments, uh, both in the bond as, as sort of as debt or as equity, uh, are things that have become uh, quite attractive here in the United States, across the world as well. It's become an interesting investment thesis for a lot of private equity funds. Uh, so there's been a lot of money being raised for infrastructure in general. Um, and then specifically within the infrastructure space, you have the energy assets. Uh, so that would essentially include anything from a small residential solar assets into something that, you know, a large uh, LNG facility uh, that's situated on the, on the Gulf Coast. And it really encompasses all the various elements within infrastructure, within the energy space of infrastructure uh, that would include both the generation, the, um, on the sort of on the oil and gas, it would, it would include everything from drilling, taking the asset out, moving it, moving the oil or the, to the refinery, refining it, moving it from the refinery to the point of use, um, and then the, the generating assets that might use some of that uh, feedstock in order to facilitate the production of electricity. So to, to add a little bit to that is that it's, it's coming back to solution. So the solution is not just, if you talk about solar, everybody just see a solar panel. That is one component of it. So in terms of there's a financing component, which Aron just explained very well now, and there's a component of you've got a building component, which is a structural component with everything that goes on there. You've got a component that you work with tenants and what is the value to tenants and how do you structure it with the tenants? And then you've got a component that, which is the landlord and how do you structure those components and their values? And, you know, and then is the component of the utility how do you work with the utility and interconnect with the utility per utility per state? Then is the state. You know, so if, if you start stacking all of this together, it's about, okay, how do you provide a solution for a specific industry? And that is, you know, I'm saying, so all of those components is but basically put together to provide an actual solution, which is not a shotgun approach, but an actual silver bullet for a industry. And that's what we did. When I think about solar energy in the United States, and I compare that to other energy, what percentage of electricity in the U.S. do you, and I don't know if you know, is produced by solar today? 
I don't have it off the top of my head. I think it's. Uh, give me a second here. I'll take a look. Okay. Okay. It varies if through if you say the whole you know because California is obviously way ahead. It's under ten percent. Uh, Let me just. I think uh, so. It's under ten percent. I think around six or seven, something like that, throughout. And um, but there's going to be a huge push throughout you know, the next obviously four years um, with requirements and uh, mandates to meet that most probably will push solar hard. Um, in 2018, uh, we're talking about the total generation of about two and a half percent of the total okay. consumption. Yeah, there's not, it's not a lot. What do you think the market size gets to? What percentage does solar get to? Yeah, so I think there's there's people that are probably better equipped to answer that question than than myself and Barron. I think we are a very small sliver yeah. in the solar industry. I think you see a lot of utility scale assets yeah. that in themselves are larger uh, sure. size that we're considering. But I think the 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 general consideration of solar, as I said, is is the fact that it's a very modular technology and therefore it can be applied also at the point of consumption. I think the vast majority of solar that's being applied today is applied more on the utility scale side. So I think if anything, there's really a good opportunity to drive at, at point of consumption based solar applications like what we do, which is considered the, the industrial and commercial environment. And you know, I would say that it, in consideration of solar, I know there's a lot of people talking about 100% renewable and applying 100% renewable type of uh, asset, class, uh, sort of asset portfolio on the generation side, but I don't think solar in itself is going to be able to offset um, a very large component of the base load because solar obviously doesn't produce at night, uh, and so you need storage in order to facilitate that. Uh, but I think storage with solar with some sort of augmentation of energy efficiency um, can be a much larger, perhaps maybe 10 or, or 20 times larger than it is right now uh, from a, just a, an application perspective and obviously taking over some of the uh, more traditional fossil fuel-based energy generation products. So there's another component to it, which is not just the offset in, in energy, which I agree with Ron, it's most probably a 10 to 20 fold, which will end up, you know, somewhere to, you know, to 20 to 40, 40%, which it can do. But it's also the reduction of the actual utility grid, load off the grid in peak times. So that's huge. And that has been shown to work exceptionally well in California with all the solar that comes on board. And what it does is it's, it's going to save the taxpayer a lot of money in upgrades, future upgrades in the utility grid. So because the grids, grids are getting overloaded and you get blackouts. I mean, you get different components that's happening now in Texas and other places. And what, what this does, it actually reduces that component combination with, with battery systems is awesome. And uh, over a period of time, there's an indirect huge saving for a taxpayer, which I mean, people don't talk about, but all the utilities knows and people in, in our industry know that as well. So there's indirect saving for everybody that for everybody that pays taxes or in a state or pays for the utilities. Fascinating. That's really helpful. One last thing, you have mentioned multiple times so far, Ron, that 
it's modular and it's captured at the point the and it's the point of consumption. And so why is that the point of consumption so important in um, this utility? Why is that important? So, they, you know, obviously there's going to be various individuals, various companies that perceive the market opportunity different than us. This is sort of our personal philosophy. Uh, but we think that with everything going on, specifically now, like Barron was talking about Texas, uh, the fires that we have here in California, uh, various other elements of uncertainty and limitations within the existing grid system, that having a more resilient uh, grid and obviously having a, grilled, a grid that can be much more uh, decentralized um, allowing you to be more dependent on your self-generation as opposed to the uh, distribution and generation of other utilities. I think that is gaining in importance. And I think the movement of microgrid or energy re resiliency as it's, as it's applied in various constructs is something that we see as a significant vector of, of interest both on our client base side and also something that I think the the benefits of this type of electricity, this type of uh, technology can provide um, as something that, that's going to be more valuable and will have, uh, uh, I think, more interest in the, in the years to come. Uh, think of a situation where right now, if you were, let's say, in, in, in Texas or even here in California, and there was a fire and the fire, because of the fire, the grid had essentially uh, been dropped you'd be essentially sitting in a blackout if, unless you had your own self-generation and potentially a little bit of storage. And you do see that those that are able to uh, benefit from those type of technologies right now, which are primarily probably more uh, wealthier individuals or um, companies that have invested in that, I think that's going to be something that's going to trickle down and sideways and there's going to be more of that across the, uh, the industries. Another component to add is that um, the way we design these systems, uh, which is building integrated, um, there's an additional value that comes out of it. So although, yes, as we install the system on the roof, uh, the way, again, now the way we design it, um, you've got you know, a brand new roof, which is reflective roofing. So you actually reduce the load of that building. The building is shaded. You know, so without the solar system, you know, the, the, there was say 100,000 kilowatt hours. If we install a solar system, the usage will drop most probably to 90 to 85,000. So we see a 10% to 15% saving just by installing the solar on the roof and shading the roof. So we actually reduce, you know, that system was in the, was in the middle of uh, the desert. It could not provide that. And then also, obviously, if you need to transport all of this power from the desert to somewhere in the middle of the town, there's a huge amount of losses. Every transformer, everything that cut touches. So the efficiency providing the power right at the spot is, is much, much more uh, than um, wheeling power from in the middle of a desert. So overall, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good winner. Great. Okay. That's a lot. This is the <laughs> most technical episode I've ever had. This is great. I want to bring us to the next part, which is five things you don't know about solar. Let's go, Ron. What is one? One thing the listeners probably don't know about solar. 
So I think in, in today's market, uh, and I think this is also something that obviously differentiates us, is you know there's a there's a there's a high value attributed to bifurcation of risk and limitation of flexibility. Uh, and I'll explain what that means essentially is a, a situation where if we were to install the solar system, we would generally try to bifurcate any risk associated with the building, with the roof, with the with the tenants actually acquiring the electricity. Uh, so we, we try to push all that risk to the landlord um, and then obviously limit the amount of flexibility that landlord has in order to facilitate any changes in that type of structure and apply any variation to the solar system as it's been applied. Um, I think that is what is sort of the status quo of today's solar industry. I think what differentiates us is the fact that we are obviously uh, the extreme opposite on both ends. Uh, we do want to take a lot more responsibility, so we, we try to put a system that would be coterminous with a roofing warranty, and so we put a lot of investment oftentimes in the um, in the roofing equ equipment that's on the roof itself. And then we, we do provide a lot of flexibility to landlords because we essentially believe in the notion of relationship equity. And we try to amortize that relationship equity over as much asset base as we can with that particular landlord. And in doing that, by bringing flexibility, by uh, obviously understanding the limitations of both the landlords and the tenants on the site, uh, we can provide more value for everyone in the uh, in the agreement. So that would include landlord, tenant, us, and the environment. Got it. So the one is there doesn't have to be a bifurcation of risk and limit and and limited flexibility. It can be the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. All right. What is number two? What is the second thing people don't know about solar? You know, um, this is something we're running to over the last. 15 years and um, there's a lot of solar installed on old roofs um, you know it's just that and, and I don't know why but it, it does happen and it costs about two-thirds of the actual install cost to remove a system put it on the ground put a new roof in and re then rebuild that system and I don't think uh, upfront building owners and owners of systems really understand that because most of you know most of the solar people out there they're out there to sell a solar system and that's what they want to do and it's in and out um, and we see a lot of uh, landlords you know seven ten years in that effectively lose their whole investments uh, investment by actually have to pull that system off and and rebuild it and um, that's a shame so it's just something to keep in mind so number two is the cost of reinstallation by putting the first installation on an old roof. No bueno. Yeah, yeah. that's a right. Do it right the first time. You don't want to redo it. Yes, exactly. Okay. What is number three? Third thing people don't know about solar. Yeah, so I think um, the the one thing specifically in the applications that we we implement is that we don't necessarily have to connect directly to the tenants or the landlord meters. A lot of that can be done virtually. Um, a lot of people talk about whether it affects the uh, stability of the grid or their resiliency in getting the electricity from the utility. 
And so a lot of the work that we actually do nowadays is done at the other side of the meter. So there's really not any interruption or adjustment to their, uh, to their general consumption profile or their actual uh, interconnection position with the utility. That is really interesting, actually. So you, can, you come in and you install anything and they're not down ever? So there is usually a shutdown specifically that the utility requires, not us. It's, it's something that's required by the utility, but that would be very consistent with, you know, any upgrade that's being done on their, on their grid, which they probably already have done a dozen times within their tenancy in that particular location. Uh, but other than that, there's really nothing that affects their, their side of the meter. Got it. Okay, so that's number three. Nothing that really affects their side of the meter. What is number four, Barn? All right, so um, it's, it's, it's a combination because if we view, if you look at a rooftop, you know, um, there's activity on the roof. Uh, we found, we're finding a lot of um, rooftops with uh, skylights in it. So, you know, and the tendency, you know, 20 years ago was, you know, with, without LED that you, you create all these savings by installing skylights. So, you know, that's a thing from the past. So what happens now with the, the same, with the same, everybody turning over to, uh, changing over to LED, um, and with the heat loss of these, these skylights that you, there is a component of heat loss, you know, um, basically what we're doing now is, is replacing all the skylights. We take it out um, and then opening up that rooftop um, and just the saving of the heat loss through the skylight already basically pays for the removal of the skylight, but we do that on our dime anyhow. And then basically then you can extend the solar system on top of it. Um, so it's, I think a component is, is you should look at the building envelope. I think that's my, um, you know, each and every project's a little bit different. And um, that includes skylights, old equipment, or whatever you got, or rerouting equipment, or rerouting, or, you know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, you know. Just so skylights don't help anymore. That's my takeaway. Skylights don't help anymore. They don't help anymore. And, yeah, they, they basically now safety has it. <laughs> <laughs> got it. All right. Last one. What is number five, the fifth thing people don't know about solar? Sure. So I think the the one thing that obviously within us, especially within a retail real estate setting, that is quite different than a traditional tenant, because for, for all intents and purposes, we are a tenant on that location, mostly just renting the roof space. But different from another tenant, what we're really doing is investing a lot of money up front, which is essentially the equivalent of us parking a few Ferraris on your rooftop. And then it's obviously beholden on us to make sure that we manage and uh, maintain that rooftop and make sure that it's done in the best possible way. And so to some degree, we've now actually taken a piece of real estate that is not necessarily well utilized, but is now bec it's become sort of the apple of our eye and our, we're 100% focused on making sure that it's well managed, well maintained and operating in its best function. All right. Well, that is great. There is a lot to unpack, listeners. Go back and listen again. There's a lot of things in this episode, especially if you're like me and not a solar expert, which 
I think that is the majority of listeners here. I think you will learn a lot. And let's just for one second go to the basics of how this works. So just so people understand, your panels are up on the roof and you're collecting the energy. Who's turning that into electricity, you or the utility company? So you can, you know, so what happens, you call it a photon. So you've got the rays coming from the sun. It offloads the electron. Uh, um, with the solar technology, it offloads the electron on the cell. And then that basically flows, it's like a battery. So imagine a battery that's always getting charged by the sun. That's an easy way to see it. And that battery, they call it DC power, got a one-way direction. So you've got a string, it goes from the one side, but it goes through a a machine, which we call an inverter. And the inverter, what it does, that's connected to to the grid. And it follows the grid and the frequency of the grid. And it will actually allocate, it starts oscillating that, that electron that's coming from that solar panel, which is like a battery, which is DC. And the inverter is like the brain. And how it works is that we call it potential. It's like water pressure. So um, the, there's a pressure. Uh, we are basically tapping into a water line. And that inverter put more pressure on that water line. So our water is actually flowing into the grid. And that's how we do it. It's quite, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I I try to keep it short, but we like it. So from our side, we produce power. Here's the nice thing about it. Our power is much more cleaner than whatever you can get from the grid. Basically, no noise, no anything. We're actually cleaning out the grid and taking some of the grid uh, 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 frequent uh, 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 harmonics and components and absorbing it in our system. It's really nice, very cool technology. So uh, it's a really cool technology. As as uh, Ron said, is it's all static, so there's no moving parts to it, which makes it amazingly reliable. And, you know, so it's a cool technology and, and it's free energy. It's basically like what I'm saying, like water. But this time, you know, you have to pay for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd be remiss not to, to ask about this. So Elon Musk has this stuff out there where the, the roof shingle is the solar panel is what's going on. You know, I always get concerned, right, you know, buying solar panels and Am I buying a horse and buggy? And I keep hearing about this guy, Henry Ford, who's who's building cars over here. And I, I'm, I'm light years behind. What do you all think of the technology that the shingle is the actual solar panel? Well, I, I just want to, yeah. So solar, I mean, started from the 70s. So it's not new, by the way. So it's not like sure. we found something new so it's got, you know, and yes, it's been, the efficiencies has gone up over time, but we've got, we've got systems that we designed 15 years ago that still operates and still exactly produce exactly what we plan and offsetting the power it should be offsetting and making the money that should be making. So it's not absolutely obsolete by any chance. And you've got, a, you've got about a 40, 45 year life in these panels. Yes, there's a degradation but it's, you know, that system's produced. 
So first of all, I think, you know, from that point of view, uh, solar panels by itself is quite robust in terms of technology. Yes. Can you wait and get something with 2% more output or 3% more output in a year? Yes. But is, is it going to, but you're only, you're already going to lose that years of savings. You know what I'm saying? So there's no point of waiting for it. The technologies that they're working on um, is much lower output in terms of per square foot that we're actually using. Um, so from that point of view, but it's integrated, it looks nice. Uh, we're on the commercial side, you know, so they're using a, a different type of technology uh, than what we're using. Um, and, you know, because uh, you know, if you don't like to see the solar panels on your roof itself, you know, you can use, uh, you know, Elon Musk's technology. But that will not happen in the close near future at all in commercial. So does that answer your question? A hundred percent. All right, guys, I'm going to take us to the last part of the show. It's called Retail Wisdom. We're going to do the same thing we did before. This is a fun part. We'll start with you, Baran. What is the last item over $20 that you bought in a store? Uh, well, we've got a, we've got a, a mom and pop uh, a restaurant here. Yesterday I went with my kids um, and um, Heritage Cafe. Uh, they traveled all over the world and then brought all that food. You know, Napa got great wine and also got some nice food as well. <laughs> So, you know, it's just awesome. They've got all these different types of uh, food that, um, you know, got influence from uh, Malaysia, from India, from uh, some from Israel, Middle East, you know, so, and I love it. So, um, yeah, so that's that was my last uh, more than a, it, it, it was a little bit more than 20 bucks, but it was <laughs> worth a lot more what it cost. <laughs> yeah, when I asked Ron where he was from, in a phone call a few weeks ago and I, he said, well, I, I live in Napa. And I said, oh, and I guess he heard my tone and he goes, somebody has to live here. <laughs> I thought that was a good line. He's like, somebody has to live here. Uh, all right, Ron, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Yeah, well, I think, I think our, I heard my wish might be coming true that, uh, you know, like any child of the, of the eighties, uh, and sort of early '90s, Toys R Us is a great uh, is a great store, um, and I and it, it the rumor says that they're actually might be opening up again. So oh, that's awesome. Know, that would be so my wish might might yeah. come true. That will be it'll be interesting to see. I, I have heard it. I'm rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Barn. Last question: If you and I were shopping at Target, Barn, and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? I think it's aisle 30. It's the, it's the barbecue section. Barbecue. Oh, yeah. No, whatever. I mean, smoker, whatever, whatever they're selling, I'm buying. <laughs> what do you like to barbecue? Oh, now you're going to get me going. Yeah, yeah no, no. So, no, we, I mean, um, well, from brisket, live some time in Texas. There I figured out brisket's amazing. So, and then uh, we do Santa, I've got Santa Maria barbecue as well, you know, so over the fire type of coals, amazing, you know, with, with some oak. So that would be ribeye, I mean, it can be anything, ribeye, um, you know, so most of it is meat, you know, so. <laughs> sure, <laughs> Which that's barbecue. We, if, yeah, if we want chicken, we'll, you know, if we want vegetables, we get some chicken, you know. 
All right. Well, listen, gentlemen, this was great. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me today. And we will be in touch. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.